There's actually one, one other thing that Ivan didn't mention this morning, and that is it's his birthday today. <laughs> Let's sing happy birthday together. <laughs> At least I waited until after share time. You didn't have to stand up here and face everyone. <laughs> Thought it'd be unfortunate if we had Ivan right up front here and uh, didn't mention that. So, <clears throat> This morning I'd like to <clears throat> want to do a couple of things. One, I'm going to tell you a story about one of my dogs. I don't want to go to the Old Testament and look at a story there. Look at just a couple verses in the New Testament and come back to my dog. <clears throat> if that sounds like I'm circling around, I, I probably am. <clears throat> Our family has enjoyed five different Jack Russell Terriers over the years, and one of the things I find so interesting about dogs is they're a lot like people in some ways. Uh, each one is unique. Each one has their own personality. And you kind of, you get to know them. One of them, Victor, was our male Jack Russell, and he died, I think it was in 2015, so he hasn't been around for a little while. But Victor had several things that he valued very highly. We... And called them Victor's treasures. And Victor kept all his treasures in a little corner. And his most special treasure, he would take outside. And he would dig a hole. And he would bury his treasure. Like some of his treasures were a ball, a deer antler, a bone. And his most highly prized treasure was an empty tuna can. <laughs> See, some of you made a face about that. that. That face was appropriate. Yes, it was a dirty, smelly tuna can. Whenever Ann would get the can opener and start opening a tuna can, Victor would wake up from his nap and he'd run for the kitchen and he'd wait at her feet because he knew as soon as she emptied that can, I was going to check it, check all the edges and make sure there's nothing sharp that's going to cut his tongue and we'd give him the tuna can. Well, he'd immediately ring the bell on the door. He wants to go outside and he's going to... He, clean this thing out good, and then bury his treasure. If anyone saw him, he would be looking over his shoulders, and if anyone saw him, he would move to a different spot, and he'd start digging again. Well, we used to, I liked to torment him, so we'd watch from inside until he pretty much had this thing buried, and I'd say, watch this, I'm going to go open the door and see what he does. I'd open the door, and Victor would look, and right away, dig it up, and he'd go start over. <laughs> Can't have anybody know where this special treasure is. This is really important. <laughs> Victor would literally spend days guarding his treasures, protecting them. And if Trixie, his wife, if she came too close and started sniffing and she suspected where his tuna can was, he'd come tearing in and there'd be a roaring fight. He would really beat up on her because she got too close to his treasure. He'd dig it up. Go hide it again, and you see the cycle. It just went on and on. 
Victor was so busy taking care of his treasures. <clears throat> Sometimes when someone would come to our house that he really liked, like my brother James, he loved my brother James, and whenever James showed up, Victor would go dig up the tuna can, and he would bring it to James and run circles around him and wave it in the air, but you can't touch it. It's his. Nobody touches his tuna can. You can look at it, but don't touch it. I've said in the past, half-jokingly, half-seriously, that God speaks to me through my dogs. <laughs> now, my dogs don't speak like Balaam's donkey. However, God reminds me, when I look at, how my, at my dog's behavior, sometimes God uses that to show me what I'm like, to get my attention, I guess. And I'm reminded of things that I need to change. <clears throat> As I've been processing the upcoming ordination and just thinking about what is important to me, what isn't, and God has reminded me how much I can be, just like Victor in a lot of ways. You know, I gave Victor his tuna can, and he wants, he wants to keep it to himself. He doesn't want anybody touching anything. And too often, I can have the same attitude with the things that God gives me. I can start thinking I'm entitled to things. I can start clutching them tightly in my hand. You know, I think we all have things that we treasure, that we value, and that's okay. What I'd like to think about this morning is, how do I hold those things that God has given me? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 1 this morning. The story of Hannah and the birth of Samuel have stood out to me for some time. Um, probably because before Micah's birth, Ann and I experienced 18 years of infertility. Praying for a baby for 18 years wasn't happening. And I can identify with Hannah's longing for a child. And I moved with what Hannah did, with what God gave her. I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 1 and then come back and just want to take note of a few things in that first chapter. <clears throat> Bear with me on some of these names. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathim Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were the priests of the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina and his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. 
It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so that she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with, his, with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until my child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. I want to take note of just a couple things in this passage in thinking about this story. First, you see in verse 2 that Elkanah had two wives, and polygamy, though far from ideal, had become very common at this time. We're told in Judges 21 and verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this was not 
what God had planned. Commentators say it's very likely that Elkanah took a second wife because of Hannah's infertility. Uh, this was pretty common that if, you're, if your wife was unable to have children, you simply get another one. <clears throat> we can see in verses 4 to 7 um, the jealousy and the pain that are caused by polygamy. And God intended marriage to be one man and one woman for life. But we can see what, what happens when there's, when there's more than one. Ronald Youngblood said, Barrenness in the ancient times was the ultimate tragedy for a married woman. Since her husband's hopes and dreams depended on her providing him with a son to perpetuate his name and to inherit his estate. And so wives had this pressure to provide a, their husbands with a son. And you add to that the belief that barrenness was caused by sin, and you have this stigma toward an infertile woman. It's so unfair. <clears throat> Verse 10 tells us Hannah's situation. She was greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. This is something out of her control. You know, she makes a vow that she will give him to God for his entire life, that he would be a Nazarite. Not, most commentators believe that's, if this was a Nazarite vow, which was usually a temporary vow, but in this case, it was to be lifelong. There's two other examples in Scripture that I'm aware of, of babies being dedicated as a Nazarite before birth, and those two are Samson and John the Baptist. <clears throat> so she's vowed that if she has a son, she will give him to the Lord for life. And, you know, there in, in the temple... Uh, she's misunderstood again, verses 12 to 16, where, where Eli the priest thinks she's drunk. It says, put away your wine. Can you imagine how misunderstood? This poor woman is misunderstood already and blamed for something out of her control. And now here she's accused of being drunk when she's simply pouring out her heart to the Lord in, in distress and pain. I'm amazed with the, the change that's recorded here in, in Hannah in verse 18. When Eli says to go in peace, may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your main ser servant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Why is that? She wasn't pregnant. But I think Hannah believed that she was going to be or that God would do what was right. She was resting in that. She was no longer sad. Verse 20, it's recorded that she gave birth to a son and named him Samuel. The 
named Samuel means heard by God. It was her reminder that God had heard her prayer. It's also a reminder to her that she was going to be giving her son to God for life. You know, and all men, all the men of Israel had to appear before the Lord three times a year. The women didn't have to, but many did. And so, typically, apparently both of uh, Elkanah's wives went with him. But here Hannah decides, once she, is, once she has the baby, she decides to wait until he's weaned and then go and take her son, and he'll stay there forever, the rest of his life. Can you imagine taking your, your child? They, they typically nurse their, weaned their child at between three and four years old. Can you imagine mothers taking your three-year-old Say, bringing them to the church if someone lived here and leaving, leaving them here, and you go home. Fifteen miles away would have been their home on foot, so it's not a, just a short little journey. And leaving your child there. Do we have any three-year-olds here this morning? How many three-year-olds? I don't know who's three. <laughs> oh, we've got one. <laughs> so imagine... Can you imagine taking a three-year-old to church and just leaving them? It's, it's hard, hard for me to imagine after longing for a child for so long and then doing that. <clears throat> you know, if Hannah had been looking for a reason not to follow through on her vow, she could have easily found one. Think about this. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12, we're told that Eli's sons were corrupt, worthless, and didn't know the Lord. 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13, God says that Eli knew about his son's sins, but he didn't restrain them. He didn't do anything about it. And Eli was the one who had falsely accused her of being a drunk. Who would want to leave their longed-for child in a situation like that? She could have said, the man isn't trustworthy. I won't leave my child there. I would have done it, Lord, but I couldn't because he wasn't trustworthy. She could have come up with with reasons not to do what she had promised to do, not to give her son back to God. Talk about faith. Hannah entrusted what she valued most to God in spite of the circumstances, in spite of other people's imperfections, their shortcomings. I think, too, Hannah's focus was not on the gift she was given, but on the giver, on God. And the first 11 verses of chapter 2 show us that. The first 10 verses are Hannah's song of thanksgiving. I'm not going to read all of that. I'll read verses 1 and 2 and then skip to verse 11. Chapter 2, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. 
nor is there any rock like our God. Then jumping down to verse 11, just want to note, Elkanah went home, went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So she left her son with Eli the priest, who did nothing when his sons did wrong. I was thinking about <clears throat> the fact that everything that we have is from God. I was thinking of some verses in, uh, in Romans, end of Romans chapter 11 and beginning of chapter 12. And here Paul is, is making it clear that no person is going to understand completely God's ways, why God does what He does. That it's impossible for us to understand God completely. Romans 11, I'm going to jump in at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. And he asks three rhetorical questions. For who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Or who has become his counselor? It's like saying, who knows more than God? Obviously, the answer is no one. And third, or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? No one can give to God and have God be indebted to them. We are all deeply indebted to God. In fact, it's a dangerous thing to think that God owes me. It's a dangerous thing to think, God, you owe me. Verse 36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. All things are of God, through God, and to God. My short life is of God. It's lived through the strength He gives me, and I go back to Him. Reading Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Notice the therefore. Because everything is of God, through God, and to God, and because of everything that Paul has already laid out in the first 11 chapters of Romans, which I won't attempt to summarize, but for example, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of what God in His mercy has given us, the reasonable or the logical response is to give our lives back to Him. The least I can do is to give myself back to Him. 
to be used in any way he wants. When I recognize God as the giver of whatever I have, my response should be, thank you, God. How do you want to use what you've given me? It's yours, as Hannah did with her son. Going back to Victor, if Victor doesn't bring his ball to me, I can't throw it for him, and he's not going to enjoy much sitting with his ball. But if he'll give it back to me, I'll throw it, and he'll enjoy it more. I will never be completely fulfilled until I choose to give back to God what he has given me. Then I can relax. I don't have to guard my treasure anymore and defend my rights. I've given it to God, and then he and he will take care of it better than I can. I believe Hannah saw that God could take care of her son. God who provided her son could better care for her son in her absence than she could as his mother. I can't imagine how difficult it was for her to leave her son at the temple. But she did. I want to read a couple verses from 1 Samuel 2, 18 to 21. <clears throat> now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy, wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. <clears throat> God blessed Hannah and Elkanah with more children. 1 Samuel 3, reading verses 19 to 21. Again, just looking at Samuel. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. God used what Hannah gave him in a powerful way for an entire nation. God gave his word to his people through Samuel. And Samuel anointed the first two kings of Israel. I ask you, what would have happened if Hannah wouldn't have given her son to God? I don't know but history would have been different. What would have happened if she had not given back to God what he gave her, the thing that she valued? Not only would her life have been different, it would have, it would have affected an entire nation. No man is an island. My choices affect other people. Satan would like for you to think it doesn't matter. Your choices only affect you. 
it doesn't hurt anyone else. That's a lie. My choices affect other people. My choices are important. What is the thing that you value most? What's your treasure? It could be your family, your spouse, a child. Is it a job? It could be a possession, something that you have. It could be financial security. Could be your time, your reputation, a longing that's unfulfilled. Could be my right to, you fill in the blank. What do you treasure? You know, there was something that Victor did that I loved. It happened several times that Victor went and dug up his tuna can. Remember, the tuna can is his most treasured possession, that dirty, smelly tuna can. And he would go dig it up, and he brought it to me. I didn't realize what was happening the first time, but he did this several times. That he'd bring it, and he'd drop it right at my feet on top of my shoe, and he'd take his nose and bump me in the leg and just stand there and wag his tail and wait. And he wanted me to take it. I'd bend over and pick up his can. I was allowed to touch the can. And I would pick up his can, and I would turn it and make a big fuss over it just because it made him happy. And he'd stand there and just wiggle all over. He's so pleased that I'm making a fuss over his can. He trusted me with his treasure. You know, usually if I'm not willing to give what I value most to God, it's because I'm afraid if I give it to Him, He's not going to give it back. What if He doesn't give it back to me? You know, it happened once or twice. When Victor brought me his treasure, and I picked it up, and he's pleased that I'm looking at it, I looked it over and I saw he was so pleased with this thing, and his gnawing on it, he had actually punctured the can with his teeth, and there were sharp edges there that I was afraid he would cut his tongue. Victor was a bleeder, and he would bleed profusely over the smallest cut. And so several times, I had to take his can when he brought it to me, and I didn't give it back to him because it was for his good. I didn't want Victor to be injured with his treasures. I kept it, and I gave him something else in its place. Victor trusted me. It took years before he would bring me his can, but Victor trusted me because we had a relationship. He didn't trust just anyone who walked into his yard. <laughs> he wanted to please me because he had accepted me as a top dog. You know, for us, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Realizing my need for a Savior. And when I have a love relationship with Jesus Christ and I recognize that everything I have comes from Him, everything I am, then I can trust Him to take what I value most. 
He'll take care of it. And Jesus never asks us to do something that He hasn't already done. Jesus gave up His rights. We heard in the last couple weeks how Jesus gave up His rights as part of the Trinity, and He humbled Himself to come to earth. He became one of us. He came to be mocked and beaten by the people He created. He gave His life to purchase our redemption. We're told in Matthew 6, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe that's why it's important for us to give our treasure to God. God wants my heart. He has my heart. He has all of me. I ask you this morning, are you willing to give what you value most to God and let Him take care of it? Would you take your songs of faith and praise and turn to number 662, please? I've asked Walter to lead us in that song.